Welcome to Turf Dudes, show number 33. Today's episode is a special episode as we get to formally introduce our newest member of the Turf Dudes team, Paul Giordano. Paul is a native of Michigan, he studied at Michigan State, and now he joins our team out of Detroit, Michigan. Without spoiling too much of the show, Paul is a trained plant pathologist who has earned a reputation as a valuable resource for turf managers across the country. In today's episode, we discuss his background, his research into bacterial etiolation and decline, and his experience so far working with the Heralds team. My name is Dr. Jeff Atkinson, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Raymond Snyder. Along with Paul, we serve as directors of agronomy for Heralds. We hope today's episode will introduce Paul to those of you who have not had an opportunity to meet him and provide insight into the valuable resources he provides to our team. Enjoy the show. So, so how do you explain, all right, let's just start with podcast there. How do you explain to your family? We'll go with question number one, what you do on a daily basis. Oh, it depends on how much time they have, right? <laughs> As you guys both know, um, you know, over the years, it's kind of evolved. And I think now it's, you know, we serve as kind of um, consultants to the turf grass industry, if you will. Right. So we are looked at as as experts in, in our subject matter or our field of um, study. And and so we get to use that expertise to uh, to help golf course superintendents and turf managers across the country. And so that's probably the easiest way that I use to to for people to wrap their head around it. Obviously, there's a ton more nuance into <laughs> what our day-to-day looks like. But, you know, for those that have 30 seconds in an elevator, that's about as, as good as I can do. Now, if you live in a new neighborhood and you meet your neighbor, do you tell your neighbor what you do for fear of being <laughs> asked for lawn advice or do you keep that under wraps? I try to keep it vague, right? You know, it's... Um, because, yeah, the expectations become such that, yeah, you are now required to be the best lawn on the block. And I guess by default, I, I feel obligated to be that person. So I do I put a lot of time and effort into my home lawn. And uh, I can't say I'm the best on the block, but I'm probably in the top 10, which I'll take. That's fine. But, um, yeah, you know, you're right. You open that Pandora's box and everybody starts hitting you up for information and help and this. And, that. and I don't mind, but it, <laughs> you just have to be careful who you talk to and tell. Let's go one step back. How did you enter the turf world? What was the the pathway to the uh, the turf world? Yeah, I think my my path was probably more of a, a traditional one. Um, you know, we are fortunate to cross paths with so many different people in this industry. And I, f- I find that most people's paths are somewhat similar, right? I, I kind of fell in love with the game of golf in the late nineties, as most kids at, at my age did when Tiger Woods was kind of doing his thing and, and the boom was happening. And so fell in love with the game. And, and one of my first jobs, rather than going to work at McDonald's when I was 14, 15 years old, I, uh, I got, kind of linked up at a local um, driving range, picking balls, just driving a tractor, picking balls and, you know, getting paid five bucks an hour, but all the free golf balls I could hit was great. Um, But I kind of got tired of being a target out on the range there after uh, two summers. And so parlayed that into a, uh, a summer job on a local municipal course, 27 hole municipal course in Canton, Michigan, um, and worked a couple summers there got to kind of got thrown into the lion's den we were building um some new holes on that golf course the first summer i was working 
and it was brutally hot, as hot as it can be in Michigan, I guess. I know you guys are down south, so that <laughs> relatively speaking, it was brutally hot. And um, I found myself doing the grunt work, but taking more and more responsibilities on throughout the course of the summer and really appreciating the instant gratification of, of seeing the fruits of your labor, right? I, I, as a kid, I guess I just never had that immediate experience or that gratification of what you get to see and the, the inner workings of golf course maintenance. And I, I fell in love with it. I got the bug. And I remember very vividly one day, you know, I'm a teenager and I didn't, I wasn't particularly a morning person, but I, uh, I got up, I was getting up every day at 4.30 in the morning. And my mom said to me, you know, you must really like this job because you, I could never get you up for anything else this early. And that was kind of the aha moment that, that kind of dawned on me that this is really something I dig. And, um, and it could be something that I could potentially make a career out of. And so luckily for me at, at that course at Fellows Creek in Canton, I had a, a golf course superintendent mentor by the name of Dennis Nordling, who was a great educator, a, a huge advocate for the industry and the Penn State program where he went. And he really kind of um, guided me towards what it could be and what it looks like to go through the education and, and make a career of this. And so thankfully for him and, and the others that I've surrounded myself with, I've, uh, you know, all these years later doing what we do. So did you make that with that initial experience, you say, hey, this is something I want to pursue in college. And that's what took you to Michigan State or was it a different pathway to Michigan State than that? Yeah, that's pretty much it. So I, I spent several summers working on the golf course and, and kind of slowly but surely started positioning myself to to go into or enter into the uh the four-year program at michigan state it was always michigan state was always a school that i had kind of admired and loved and um and so it just so happened they had a great turf program so it made a lot of sense for me and it wasn't too far from home but uh far enough to where i could get away so um did you yeah, enter as a that, turf student is that that's how, right okay yeah, so so Michigan State has a two-year and a four-year program. So it's a bachelor's degree program, and it, the, the major is actually crop and soil sciences, but it's a turf grass focus. So you take all the, the turf grass courses that the two-year certificate students take, as well as your core curriculum for the bachelor's of science degree. How did you how did you end up in the grad school? Did you go into with an intent of going to grad school, or did you go into a intent of being a superintendent? Or how did that take us through that journey? Yeah, sure. So um, I had all intentions of becoming a golf course superintendent. Uh, grad school wasn't even on my radar. I've always been a, a decent student academically. and uh, But, that you know, I guess how it all played out was kind of funny. So after doing an internship on the North Shore of Chicago, uh, as I was getting close to finishing up with uh, Jeff Frentz at Lakeshore Country Club, you know, I, I spent that summer as kind of a spray tech and learning a lot about, you know, the fertilization practices and all the pesticide applications, different products, what we do, why we do it, how we do it. Um, and the interest in pathology was certainly there, particularly after taking Dr. Vargas's class uh, as an undergraduate. But one evening in East Lansing, uh, as I was finishing up my, my bachelor's degree, I was out celebrating a, a friend of mine's birthday and I happened to run into Dr. Joe Vargas at a bar and, uh, you know, we we linked up for a drink and we uh, I just started asking him about graduate school. It just was something I was interested in. I didn't know much about it. And he had he had kind of um, we had a great conversation and 
through that, I ended up applying for uh, graduate school to his lab. He had a project that he was interested in doing and, and thought I'd be a good fit for it. And, and that's kind of how I fell or backed into grad school, if you will, uh, and, and couldn't have asked for a better person to work under and, and a legend in this industry and particularly in turf pathology with Dr. Vargas. So what was the project that you ended up working on? So the project dealt with the effects of lightweight rolling on dollar spot. And it's something that the industry had kind of known for a while. Dr. Tom Nikolai had done some work back in the 90s where they proved that lightweight rolling could decrease dollar spot significantly, but nobody really knew the answer as to why or how that was the mechanism that was taking place that was driving disease suppression. And so Dr. Vargas wanted to set out to kind of answer that question or at least dig a little deeper to try to find out what might be going on. And, and so we took on several uh, aspects of that question. So we looked at um, dew removal in the morning versus afternoon rolling. So is it a lot of the, the theories or the hypotheses was that it's strictly just the removal, the additional removal of dew and gutation after mowing in the morning. So we wanted to address that directly. And we did that pretty simply by either rolling in the morning immediately after mowing or waiting until that turf naturally dried and rolling in the afternoon to see if, if that was a direct mechanism. And then subsequent to that, we looked at some other things like microbial um, content in the upper root zone to see if rolling is altering uh, that microbial dynamic. That was uh, an interesting and kind of cumbersome laborious <laughs> tool that I think we, we found something, but we didn't get too far down that road. The other thing we looked at is moisture content, volumetric water content in that upper uh, half inch of, of soil uh, affected by rolling. And so there were a lot of things we looked at, and I guess all in all, you know, in a nutshell, what we found was that it didn't matter whether we roll in the morning or afternoon, the effects were still there. So there's more to the story than just simply doing gutation removal. Um, and we did find a, a slight but significant increase in volumetric, volumetric water content and that upper half inch of soil thatch interface due to the consistent rolling day after day after day. And as we know, dollar spot tends to be more severe in dry soil conditions, but wet canopy conditions or moist canopy. So the drier the soil, the more fluctuations of that, um, that soil biometric water content typically can exacerbate dollar spot. And so one of the theories that we kind of found was that by consistently rolling and keeping that volumetric water content more consistent in the upper profile where that pathogen is most active, you can actually mitigate some of uh, the disease proliferation. And, and at the conclusion of that, was there ever a, a, was there a decision where you said, okay, masters is enough and I'm done? Or, or was it then you were just you know, on that path and you were going to continue on and, and finish up all the all the way. And did you ever think yeah. about going to another university? Well, so, yeah, as you guys know, you know, you set out on these things and you think you have a direct trajectory and it always is uh, more of a, a zigzag line. Um, during my master's, I was fortunate enough to work uh, not only under Dr. Vargas, but his two technicians who have been with Dr. Vargas for many, many years. One by the name of Ron Detweiler, who's the diagnostician and technician for Joe, who's been there for over 50 years. And the other being Nancy Dykema, who has been with Joe for around 30 years. And so these folks collectively have well over 100 years of practical experience in turf research and diagnostics. And so 
I took the opportunity as a master's student to to really immerse myself in the diagnostic laboratory. And so any samples that would come in, I would work with with Ron to just kind of pick his brain, see what he was looking at, understand the art of diagnostics as well as the science of it. Uh, and in doing that, about halfway through my master's, I, I once again kind of backed into this new project that ended up being a PhD project for me, which was a new disease that we had um, identified and, and discovered that was affecting bent grass putting greens, primarily in the southeast and mid-Atlantic. Um, and this disease was eventually came to be known as uh, bacterial etiolation and decline caused by acidivorax. And so, again, it just by happenstance, um, I got lucky and, and we were the, the lab that happened to receive an unsolicited sample and we kind of um, did the work to originally identify something new and something's going on here. And it eventually turned into a four-year PhD project for me under Vargas. So to answer your question about, did I consider going elsewhere? I did. I, I was actually, you know, at the time of, I had about a year or half a year left in my master's degree. And I was looking at places like Rutgers and NC State and um, doing that whole dance that's typically recommended as a graduate student to kind of diversify yourself. But this project became so uh, important and so significant in the industry at the time that I felt it was the right thing for me to stick around and work on it. And I think it was the right decision ultimately. Now, well, with the acidic borax, did you find any mechanism of, that's always a question, like how is this thing actually killing turf? You, your paper, you published a really cool picture of it was a electron microscope image of the vascular tissue that had been plugged up by all the little bacterial cells. Is, is that mm -hmm. a mechanism or is there something else going on there? You know, we we learned a lot. Uh, you know, the, my work, as well as Dr. Joe Roberts, who was working on a very similar project in tandem, you know, there was kind of a northern component, a southern component going on at the same time back in, I don't know, 2010 through 2014. And, uh, our work showed that while, yes, this, this bacterium can get into the vascular tissue, uh, and that's really where the decline starts to happen, the etiolation symptom is a little more enigmatic. Uh, it seems to take place at lower levels of infection. Um, it could be while the bacteria is kind of proliferating or, or multiplying in the vascular tissue, there's this innate plant response for it to start to etiolate. That's not as well understood. Um, and so I think there's a lot of room left to be to work on this this particular uh, pathogen plan interaction. But what we do know is it's a minor pathogen. It's not very aggressive. It usually comes in on plants that are already highly stressed. Uh, and it, there was a time, you know, in the early stages of this, we were calling it kind of the tournament disease because it seemed to spring up on bent grass after it was really kind of pushed to the max during tournament preparations. Uh, and, you know, shortly thereafter is when this thing would start to really uh, get out of control and start taking grass out. So um, and it's, it's really kind of still the situation where when folks run into this, it tends to be, you know, the first uh, I guess the first line of defense is just reduce as much stress as possible. Right. There are products we can use that kind of help in mitigating, you know, abiotic stress. But in general, we there's not a silver bullet for bacterial diseases and turf. So it's really about what you shouldn't be doing versus what you should be doing. 
right? Laying off certain things and, and alleviating stresses on that turf so that it can better thwart this natural infection that ultimately is usually a weak pathogen if you're growing a healthy plant. So is there anything one could, you know, I always question what kind of spray to get rid of this. Is there anything that helps or anything that, that helps to either apply or avoid or, you know, what, what's the general recommendation? Yeah. You know, in our work, we looked at, um, you know, certain products like uh, Signature um, as well as the Action product line. So Acebenzlar, things that are are having physiological effects on, on positive physiological effects on the plant outside of disease control. And there was marginal but sometimes significant improvements in turf quality that would allow, you know, it wouldn't completely alleviate the problem, but it wouldn't allow that pathogen to take the plant to a decline phase, right? It would just kind of stay steady in that etiolation. And as long as the weather turned and you were doing other things to alleviate stress, that plant would make it through. Um, the one big thing we found, which interestingly enough, it seems counterintuitive, the use of trinexapec ethyl, the growth regulator, actually exacerbated the, the etiolation symptoms. So you would, you would think that if you're seeing a plant that's growing upwardly out of control, that a growth regulator, a gibberellic acid, acid inhibitor would actually allow that plant to, you know, kind of stop that, that symptomology, but it didn't. It made it worse. And there's a lot of unknowns in terms of the, the physiology behind what's going on there. And I know some folks, had, I think Emily Merowitz at Michigan State had started working a little bit on that as well as some others. And so there's, again, a lot of unanswered questions job security for researchers and on the academic side, for sure. Well, I got a question for you then. So speaking of the academic side, the three of us are each sitting here in our offices, none of which are at a university. And so how did you uh, decide to go through to the industry pathway then relative to, to becoming a prof professor G? Yeah, great question, Raymond. And I think this is one that for any of the graduate students listening out there, I know this is a question that we battle uh, for many years as we go through the academic system. But for me, you know, again, I was very fortunate to get a, a, a wide variety of experiences in graduate school. And, and one of those was working with industry partners, testing products. We, The Vargas Lab would do hundreds and hundreds of product trials. Uh, bringing, you know, new products to the market for the Bayers, the BASFs, the Syngentas, the Heralds of the world. And um, in in doing those trials and helping out with those trials, I got to meet a lot of great folks on the industry side, including PhDs and, and folks that had come up through similar types of situations as myself. And I'd be remiss not to mention some of those folks who kind of helped guide me through what the industry had to offer, one being Lawrence Mudge, um, Dr. Rob Wombieski, Dr. Frank Wong, um, several of these folks I, I kind of aligned myself with at the various, um, you know, C5 meetings and, and APS meetings. And um, I was keenly interested in, in what the industry side had to offer, but I just didn't know much about it because you live, you breathe academia when you're in graduate school. And so as I learned more and, and got to, to understand what these folks were doing, uh, I understood that you can still satisfy or scratch that research itch by working with one of these companies, um, but also get the benefit of being able to communicate, use your skill set for the betterment of the entire industry. And that was always important to me, um, working directly with golf course superintendents, turf managers, 
um, but still being able to, you know, do a little bit of research on, uh, you know, in the background as well. Now you've been on board of Harold's now for about, I guess, officially eight weeks, two months or so. What was it about Harold's yeah. that attracted you? And what about, you know, being a part of this team? Have you, uh, have you enjoyed so far? What have you disliked? Or where, where, uh, what's your experience with Harold's been so far? Try to expand that beyond just you wanted to work with myself and Jeff, you know, try to <laughs> elaborate on the other components that's of Harold's a, might that's have attracted no you. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a no brainer, of course. No, I mean, just look at you guys, right? I mean, this is no, honestly, um, Harold's is a company that I've I've been working with or alongside since graduate school, right? We I, again, I, I knew a lot of the Harold's folks when I was in graduate school. We were testing the Harold's programs and products even back then. Um, and certainly, as I made the move into Bayer uh, after graduate school, working alongside the, the Harold's folks as a business partner, and it's a company I've always admired. It's a company I've always had a lot of respect for, particularly in how they do business. They, you know, they know who they are, they know what they want to be, and they are dedicated and committed to customer service and the betterment of this industry. And that was always very clear to me. Um, for me to be able to, um, like I said, continue to find new solutions, new ways of doing things, test new ideas with a portfolio of products much broader than those that I've worked with in the past. That was a huge attraction point for me with, with the Harold's team. Um, but then also getting to work with one of the best teams in the industry. Again, I don't think there's any question that uh, the folks here at Harold's are are among the best in the industry and and continue to, to find new ways to uh, uh, to improve what our industry does as a whole. So it was, again, to me, it was, a, it was an opportunity that came about. And it was one that I, I I couldn't deny just based on all the things I knew about this company. I don't know. I see, uh, Raymond, you've been doing this now, what, 14, 15 years? Seven, 17, almost. Yeah, almost 17. 18. Wow. Yeah. It's hard to tell that by looking at me because I look so young. You do. But, yep, 17 years. And useful exuberance. <laughs> 17 years is the best. Yeah. Dude, I've been here for now for about three years. And, Paul, you came on just a couple of months ago. And I think that... I mean, I, my short experience is our ability to learn from our team, how, how quality of individuals everyone on our team is, that even uh, in our position, we, we continue to learn from those guys every day. Absolutely. I mean, again, Raymond, you can speak to this. One of the, the best things about our role is we get to we get a very diverse array of experiences. We get to see a lot of golf courses. We get to communicate with a lot of different people and personalities and minds that are doing things very differently than one another again there's so many ways to grow good quality turf right and and understanding all of those different ways and strategies and compiling those into new ideas new research endeavors that's what i think is so cool and you've been doing it you're one of the best at it and and i admire what you've done for you know the course of your career and so jumping on board with you guys it, it just makes a whole heck of a lot of sense and i think we've got a great thing here yeah, I think we're really lucky because, well, a lot of people look to us because we have those three letters as being the experts. But day in and day out, I learn so much from our turf managers that we work with, our end users, our sales reps, the vendors we meet. And I almost feel like I'm I'm almost the, the hub that I can help facilitate the communication of all of those different spokes to so many people in our industry 
and help everyone help themselves by just serving as that liaison between all of the different functional groups in our industry. And to me, that's what is is so enjoyable uh, about our roles. And it gets me going every single day and just trying to help our customers that are our friends, right? I mean, these we know these people, we know their birthdays, their wives, their kids, and, and we just want them at the end of the day to be successful in whatever it is they do, maybe getting a new job. Um, sometimes they leave the industry and we still maintain those relationships with them. And it's just, that's the, that's really the beauty of our industry is the intimacy of our industry and just everyone working to help everyone become more successful. Couldn't agree more. Yep. Yep. Well, Raymond, I don't know how you did it as a team of one. And uh, certainly we had plenty of work to do as a team of two. And now with Paul, I'm glad that we have a third member of our team to, you know, better support our customers. So Paul, welcome. We're, we're glad that you're here. Yep. Thank you guys. Yep. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. That wraps up our interview with Paul Giordano. Turf Dudes exists to communicate important research findings and turf management trends to turfgrass managers as part of Harold's effort to grow a better world. If you enjoyed the show, we want your feedback. If you have a topic you'd like for us to address or a person you'd like to hear from, please send it to us at turfdudes@heralds.com. That's T-U-R-P-H-D-U-D-E-S at heralds.com. While you're at it, please subscribe to our show on iTunes, YouTube Music, or SoundCloud. We'll see you next time.